Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Chapter 8 of Joel, A Boy of Galilee, by Annie Fellows Johnston. Recording by Esther Ben Simonides. High up along the black lava crags of Perea stood the dismal fortress of Macarius. Behind its close prison bars, a restless captive groped his way back and forth in a dungeon cell. Sometimes, at long intervals, he was given such liberty as a changed eagle might have when he was led up into one of the towers of the gloomy keep and allowed to look down, down into the bottomless gorgeous surroundings. For months he had chafed in the darkness of his underground dungeon. Escape was impossible. It was John the Baptist, brought from the wild free life of the desert to the tortures of the black castle. Here he lay at the mercy of Herod Antipas, and death might strike at any moment. More than once the whimsical monarch had sent, as he sat at his bank, to be the sport of the passing hour. The light, the color, the flash of gems might have dazzled his eyes for a brief space, accustomed as they were to the midnight darkness of his cell. But his keen vision saw, under the paint and purple of royal apparel, the corrupt life of king and court. Pointing his stern, accusing finger at the uneasy king, he cried, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. With words that stung like hartling arrows, he laid bare the blackened, beastly life that sought to hide its foulness under royal ermine. Antipas cowered before him, and while he would gladly have been free from a man who had such power over him, he dared not lift a finger against the fearless, unflinching Baptist. But the guilty Herodias spited her time with bloodthirsty impatience. His life should pay the penalty of his bold speech. Meanwhile, he waited in his cell with nothing but memories to relieve the tediousness of the long hours. Over and over again he lived those strange scenes of his life in the desert, those days of his preparation, the preaching to the multitudes, the baptizing at the ford of the Jordan. He wondered if his word still lived, if any of his followers still believed on him. But more than all, he wondered what had become of that one on whom he had seen the Spirit of God descending out of heaven in the form of a dove. Where art thou now? he cried. If thou art the Messiah, why dost thou not set up thy kingdom and speedily give thy servant his liberty? The empty room rang often with that cry, but the hollow echo of his own words was the only answer. One day the door of his cell creaked back far enough to admit two men, and then shut again, leaving them in total darkness. In that momentary flash of light, he recognized two old followers of his, Timaeus Barjoram and Benjamin the Potter. With a cry of joy, he groped his way toward them and clung to their friendly hand. How did you manage to penetrate these Roman-guarded walls? he asked in astonishment. I knew the warden, answered Benjamin. A piece of silver conveniently closes his eyes to many things, but we must hasten. Our time is limited. They had much to tell of the outside world. Pilate had just given special offense by appropriating part of the treasure of the temple, derived from the temple tax, to defray the cost of great conduits he had begun, with which to supply Jerusalem with water. Stirred up by the priests and rabbis, the people besieged the government house, crying loudly that the works be given up. Armed with clubs, numbers of soldiers in plain clothes surrounded the great mob and killed so many of the people that the wildest excitement prevailed throughout all Judea and Galilee. There was a cry for a national uprising to avenge the murder. They only need a leader, exclaimed John. Where is he for whom I was but a voice crying in the wilderness? Why does he not show himself? We have just come from the village of Nain, said Timaeus Bardorum. We saw him stop a funeral procession and raise a widow's son to life. He was followed by a motley throng whom he had healed of all sorts of diseases and there were twelve men whom he had chosen as lifelong companions. We questioned some of them closely, and they would give us marvelous reports of the things he had done. Is it not strange, asked Benjamin the Potter, that having such power he still delays to establish his kingdom? 
The captive prophet made no answer for a while. Then he groped in the thick darkness, till his hand rested heavily on Benjamin's arm. Go back and say that John Baptist asked, Art thou the coming one, or must we look for another? Days passed before the devoted friends found themselves once more inside the prison walls. They had had a weary journey over rough hills and rocky bypaths. What did he say? demanded the prisoner eagerly. Go and tell John what ye saw and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. The man stood up, his long hair hanging to his shoulder, his hand uplifted, and his eyes dilated like a startled deer that has caught the sound of coming steps. The fulfillment of the words of Isaiah, he cried, for he has said, Your God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Yea, he hath bound up the brokenhearted, and he shall yet proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then with both hands clasped high above his head, he made the prison ring with the cry, The kingdom is at hand! The kingdom is at hand! I shall soon be free! Not long after that, the castle blazed with the lights of another banquet. Faint aroma of wines, mingled with the heavy odor of countless flowers, could not penetrate the grim prison walls. Nor could the gray snatches of song and the revelry of the feast. No sound of applause reached the prisoner's ear when the daughter of Herodias danced before the king. Sitting in darkness while the birthday banqueters held high carnival, he heard the heavy tramp of soldiers' feet coming down the stairs to a dungeon. The great bolts shot back, the rusty hinges turned, and a lantern flicked its light in his face as he stood up to receive his executions. A little while later his severed heads were taken on a charge to the smiling, dancing girl. She stifled a shriek when she saw it. The wicked Herodias looked at it with a gleam of triumph in her treacherous black eyes. When the lights were out and the feast was gone, two men came in at the warder's bidding. Two men with heavy hearts and voices that shook a little. When they spoke to each other, they were Timaeus and Benjamin. Silently they lifted the body of their beloved master and carried it away for burial, and if a tear or two found an unaccustomed path down their bearded cheeks, no one knew it under cover of the darkness. So out of the black castle of Mercari, under the prison house of a mortal body, the white-souled prophet of the desert went forth at last into liberty. For him, the kingdom was indeed at hand. Meanwhile, in the upper country, Phineas was following his friend from village to village. He had dropped his old familiar form of address, so much was he impressed by the mysterious power he saw constantly displayed. Now when he spoke of the man who had been both friend and playfellow, it was almost reverently he gave him the title of master. It was with a heavy heart that Joel watched them go away. He too longed to follow, but he knew that unless he took the place of the bench, Phineas could not be free to go. Gratitude held him to his post. No, not gratitude alone. He was learning the Master's own spirit of loving self-sacrifice. As he dropped the plumb line over his work, he measured himself by that perfect life and tried to straighten himself to its unbending standard. He had his reward in the look of pleasure that he saw on the carpenter's face when Phineas came in unexpectedly, one day, dusty and travel-stained. How much you have accomplished, said Miss Clare. You have filled my place like a grown man. Joel stretched his strong arms with a slight laugh. It is a pleasure to work now, he said. It seems so queer to never have a pain or that worn-out feeling of weakness that used to be always with me. At first I was often afraid that it was all a happy dream and could not last. I am getting used to it now. Where is the master, Joel asked, as Phineas turned toward the house. He is the guest of Simon. He will be here some days, my son. I know you wish to be with him as much as possible so I shall not expect your help as long as he stays. But I could only do something for him, was Joel's constant thought during the next few days. Once he took a coin from the little money bag that held his hoarded savings, a coin that was to have helped buy his revenge, and bought the ripest, juiciest pear he could find in the market. 
Often he brought him water, fresh and cold, from the well when he looked tired and warm from his unceasing work. Wherever the master turned, there, close beside him, was a beaming little face, so full of love and childish sympathy that it must have brought more refreshment to his thirsty soul than either the choice fruit or the cooling water. One evening, after a busy day, when he had talked for hours to the people on the seashore who had gathered around the boat in which he sat, he sent away the multitude. Let us pass over unto the other side, he said. Joel slipped up to Andrew, who was busily arranging their sails. Let me go, too, he whispered prettingly. Well, assented the man carelessly, you can make yourself useful, I suppose. Will you hand me that rope? Joel sprang to obey. Presently the boat pushed away from the shore, and the town, with its tumult and its twinkling lights, was soon left far behind. The sea was like glass, so calm and unruffled that every star above could look down and see its unbroken reflection in the dark water below. Joel, in the hinder part of the ship, lay back in his seat with a sigh of perfect enjoyment. The smooth, gliding motion of the boat rested him. The soft splash of the water soothed his excited brain. He had seen his uncle Laban that afternoon, among other of the scribes and Pharisees, and heard him declare that Beelzebub alone was responsible for the wonders they witnessed. Joel's indignation flared up again at the memory. He looked down at the master, who had fallen asleep on a pillow, and wondered how anybody could possibly believe such evil things about him. It was cooler out where they were now. He wondered if he ought not to lay some covering over the sleeping form. He took off the outer mantle that he wore, and bent forward to lay it over the master's feet. But he drew back timidly, afraid of wakening him. I'll wait a while, he said to himself, folding the garment across his knees in readiness. Several times he reached forward to lay it over him, and each time drew back. Then he fell asleep himself. From its situation in the basin of the hills, the Galilee is subject to sudden and furious storms. The winds, rushing down the heights, meet and clash above the water, till the waves run up like walls, then sink again into seething whirlpools of danger. Joel, falling asleep in a dead calm, awoke to find the ship rolling and tossing and half full of water. The lightning's track was followed so closely by the crash of the thunder that there was not even pause enough between to take one terrified gasp. Still the master slept. Joel, drenched to the skin, clung to the boat's side, expecting that every minute would be his last. It was so dark and wild and awful. How helpless they were, buffeted about in the fury of the storm. As wave after wave beat in, some of the men could no longer control their fear. Master, they called to the sleeping men, as they bent over him in terror. Carest thou not that we perish? He heard the cry for help. The storm could not waken him from his deep sleep of exhaustion, but at the first despairing human voice he was up, ready to help. Looking up at the midnight blackness of the sky and down at the wild waste of waters, he stretched out his hand. Peace, he commanded in a deep voice. Be still. The storm sank to earth as suddenly as a death-stricken raven. A great calm spread over the face of the waters. The silent stars shone out in their places. The silent sea mirrored back their glory at his feet. The men huddled fearfully together. What manner of man is this? they asked of one another. Even the wind and the sea obey him. Joel looked up at the majestic form standing so quietly by the railing, thought of the voice that once rang over the night of creation with the command, Let there be light. At its mere bidding, light had flowed and across the darkness of primeval night. Just so had this voice thrilled the storm with its peace, be still, into utter calm. The child crouched at his feet, burying his face in his mantle, and whispering in admiration, He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. End of chapter 8. for listening to another episode of Acre Salt Story Classic. <laughs>